This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Let's jump into the word. If you have your Bibles, go with me to John chapter 3. Last week we were in John chapter 2. The week before we were in John chapter 3. So we've been bouncing all over the place. But today we're going to pick up right at verse 22, and we're going to read from verses 22 through 30 tonight. If you're there, say, I'm there, Pastor Jay. All right, let's do it. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized, verse 24, for John the Baptist or the baptizer had not yet been put in prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, He is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. And the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore... This joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Today I want to talk to us about what it means to live what I'm going to call a less than life, a life of decreasing. You see, in our culture today, we typically add things to our lives, don't we? We add sporting events, we add entertainment, we add movies, we add activities and trips and vacations, and all those things are good. But we tend to spend a lot of our life and a lot of our bandwidth, if you will, adding things to our life. But rarely when we think about what we want to become or what we want to do in life, what God's purpose and plan for us is, do we think of subtraction? Do we think of decreasing? But this is precisely the place, the intersection, where Christ wants to meet us tonight. This week, I was able to get away and do a little prayer retreat with some of our Radiant Network family in Lake Gull, Michigan. And I was really refreshed, and I was really thankful to be able to get away. I was thankful for my wife being able to cover for me. But Pastor Sonny Mazar, one of our apostolic elders and uh, counsel to us as a church, said this, and I want to make note of it. He said that Jesus comes to do two things in our lives. He comes to do a work of removal, and he comes to do a work of renewal. Say it with me. Removal? Renewal. Jesus comes to remove, oftentimes, things from our lives that get in the way, things that tend to clutter our souls. How many of you guys are neat freaks? It's okay. This is a safe place. How many of you are hoarders? I see you hoarders out there. It's okay. This is a safe place. But I'm a little OCD, in case you don't know that. And I like things to be in their place. I like everything kind of compartmentalized. And I've shared this in the past, but in the past, I was a little obsessed. I used to like all of my clothes to be organized by color and by type 
And then I got married and I had kids and that went right out the window. And a lot of times we want our lives to look neat. We want our lives to be put together. We want our lives to be orderly. And sometimes, if we're not careful, our lives can become cluttered with stuff and with things. Uh, Maybe you like to shop, and it's been a long time since you have cleaned out your closet. In fact, a great discipline is to learn how to live with less, learning how to detox and declutter your life and soul from the many things that take up your closet. It's funny, only in America do we pay extra money a month to put our crap in storage. You don't really see that overseas. For those of you that have been on mission, those of you that have traveled, you don't see people taking out big storage containers to hold all of their extra stuff. Why? Because they don't live a cluttered life because they've learned to let go. And in the same way, Jesus oftentimes walks among the lampstand of his church to bring a work of removal in our lives. He wants to remove things that clutter our souls. Maybe over the past 18 months, you've experienced this. You've experienced a removal. You've experienced the loss of a relationship, the loss of somebody that you thought was your best friend or or, or close friends with, and now they're gone. Maybe you lost a job, or maybe you went through a really tough time. And this is, I believe, a season where Jesus is doing a work of removal in the church. He's taking things that we have been depending upon as crutches and he's removing them from our lives. Why? Because he hates us? No, because he loves us. And out of that work of love, he wants to bring about a work of removal so that then, are you ready for it? He can take us into renewal. He can take us into a season of renewal where he makes all things new. And he wants to do that in your life. And if you'll let him, if you'll yield to the work of the spirit, He'll do that even tonight. Here John is in verse 29, talking about the bridegroom. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the ministry of Christ and the fact that Jesus has now come on the scene. We see John being presented with a dynamic shift and change in his own life in his own ministry as a result of Jesus's arrival. Are you with me? And he's experiencing pressure from his disciples. We know that the word disciple is apprentice or student. So he's getting pressured by his students to push back, to come against, to resist the very new thing that God wants to do through Christ. And so they've come to John, the disciples have come to him and they're pushing hard And and they're pressing on the fact that he's losing influence and followers to Jesus. Verse 26. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is now baptizing and all are going to him. I want us to key in on this phrase, all are going to him. Were all of the people really going to Jesus? Were all of John's disciples going to Jesus? We see right here that John's own disciples had come to tell them of what was happening. So clearly, not all of John's disciples had gone to Jesus. They're being hyperbolic. They're applying pressure on Jesus. You ever been around someone that was like, well, everybody said And you're like, well, who said it's just one person? We get that sometimes in church. Well, everybody's saying the coffee's too cold. 
Oh, really? Who's everybody? Well, just one person, just so-and-so. I use that as a silly example, but a lot of times we see that in our own lives. We, we listen to gossip and to slander from people that are trying to represent the masses when really it's their own issue that they're dealing with. And that's what's happening here with John and his disciples. They're saying, uh, verse 26, Rabbi, he who is with you, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing now and all are going to him. They start comparing John's ministry with Jesus's ministry. And don't we do that? Don't we get sucked into the comparison trap? I like what Mark Twain says about comparison. He says, comparison is the death of joy. If you find yourself losing joy, it could be because you're comparing your life with the life of another. And here's why that's unfair both to them and to you. Because you're comparing your internal emotional reality, how you feel, with someone's external reality that they've presented. Don't we do this on Instagram? Don't we do this on social media? We look at somebody having a good time on vacation and we're like, man, my life sucks. What are we doing? We're comparing their external reality to our internal reality. And it's not fair because none of us know what's going on in their life. None of us know what's happening in their heart. They could be on vacation about to have emotional breakdown and put on a smile for the camera. They could be going through the worst season, or maybe it is that they've never had anything good happen and something finally good happens in their life, and here we are in the back looking at them going, who do they think they are having such a great time in Zion National Park? Who do they think they are going to Disneyland in the middle of a pandemic? Right? And when we start doing, we get sucked into the comparison trap. But what is comparison? It's the death of joy. When you begin to compare your life to another, you're inviting death to come into your life. Can I say it again? When you begin to compare your life with another's, you're allowing the work of death to enter into your life. That's why so much of, our, so much of us are miserable. And we have everything. In the West, we're incredibly blessed. Most of us, if we have a roof over our head, are living a blessed life. But we're so miserable because we're looking at what the Joneses have that we don't have, and we're comparing ourselves. And that's the trap that so many get sucked into, and that's what John's disciples have been sucked into. Jesus, look over there. Look at John. Look, all the people are going to him. But does Jesus freak out? Does Jesus lose his peace? Does Jesus lose his joy? Verse 27. I'm sorry, does John freak out? Does John lose his peace? Does John lose his joy? Verse 27, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to them from heaven. A person cannot receive a single thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Did you know that all of life is a gift? Did you know that all of life is because of the grace of God? God and nothing else. Now, if you haven't learned that lesson yet, I hope you learn it soon because it's amazing how liberating it is to realize that your life is a product of heaven. Your life is a product of grace. Your life is a product of what has been given to you by God. Nothing else. Now, you know what's difficult? What's difficult is when you're a workaholic 
and you've centered your existence around working for things, trying to earn the grace of God, trying to merit your own salvation, trying to prove yourself to somebody. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, I've been there. Oh, I've been the older son in the story of the, of the prodigal son. I've been the guy trying to do it all right because I'm trying to earn God's favor when in reality, not a single thing can be given to a person unless it is given to him from heaven. Meaning it's all grace. Everything we are and have from God is grace. I'm not saying hard work isn't necessary. It's important. I'm not saying sowing isn't important or stewardship isn't important. But don't become defined by it. Because the moment you become defined by it, you've now begun to worship an idol. You now have begun to bow down before an idol and a false god. A false god that wants to tell you that your value and your validation comes from what you do. Oh, guys, we so struggle with this in America. Because we're, we're, we're the nation that is defined by our ethic by our ability to work hard and pull ourselves up by the bootstrap. But we know that's not really the case because the word of God reminds us all of life is a gift. And this is John's response to his disciples. Grace recognizes that all of life is a gift. The Bible says the rain falls on the righteous and the wicked the same, which means we don't always get what we deserve and we don't always deserve what we get. Some of you are a huge product of grace. And you know what? I think it's time that we start owning it. We start owning the fact that we are trophies of grace. God, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was broken, but now I've been restored. I was in dark and I couldn't see, but now I see because of God's amazing grace. Grace says you're going to go free when you deserve to be locked up. Grace says it's already been paid for because of the work of Jesus and what he's done on that cross. Are you tracking with me? And then I love what John the Baptist says next. He makes this startling statement, verse 28. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Now I've spoken a little bit about this in earlier messages within this series, but John is actually... John the Baptist is actually quite fulfilled in knowing who he is because he knows who he is not. And it's important to know who you are. You got you to know that you belong to Jesus. And if you don't, we want to make and give you that opportunity to, to make that step toward him tonight. But you also need to know who you're not. And this echoes what we were talking about earlier about not comparing ourselves. But John says here, I'm not the Christ, guys. <laughs> don't try to make me into a Messiah. I'm just the one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. John knows firmly who he is because he knows whose he is. He understands the anointing that's on his life, the calling that he's received from God, and he's not going to be swayed. I wonder if that's you tonight. I wonder if you know who you are in Christ Jesus. I'll tell you what, we need to know who we are in Christ because we live in a culture now that is going to directly combat that and is going to do everything in its power to tell us to conform to the patterns of the world. But what does Paul the Apostle say in Romans? He says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
When the washing of the word comes, it reminds us of who we are in Christ. It renews our thinking. It begins to reset and recalibrate our souls around who Jesus says we are and not what Instagram says we are. Around what Jesus says we are and not what our boss thinks we are. Around who Jesus says we are and not what we've been called in the past. Some of you have a past. Guess what? So do I. Welcome to the party. And here's the invitation to bring your skeletons out of the closet and to have them dance at the party of the great unbecoming of the undoing of those that know who they are in Christ Jesus because they've put their faith in him and him alone. Some of you guys are still trying to hold on to your closet sins and pet demons and God wants to set you free so that you can walk and live in the light. And you're befriending a reality that has given you a false sense of strength when in the truth and the reality of God is, is that you're shacking up with darkness. And God wants to liberate you tonight. And that's my prayer. John says, I know who I am because I know who I'm not. I'm not Jesus. But guess what? I can point you to him. I can tell you a little bit about my Messiah. And we see this in our day. There's so many people suffering from an identity crisis. It's why we see the the trans issue becoming so exaggerated in our time. It's why we see people looking to other communities to get their identity and to define them because they don't know who's supposed to define them, and that's Jesus and Jesus alone. And we as the church, rather than throwing stones, need to be people of compassion. We need to be people of love. Because we are no better off or worse off than they. We just have come to the knowledge of the Son and we know who we are in Christ Jesus. But if you know who you are, don't throw stones. Don't get on social media and rail against people and fight with people the way the world fights. Come on, our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and spirits and wicked places of of darkness. Our battle isn't with people, so don't put skin on a sin problem. And don't think that because you're arguing from a regenerated heart and mind that other people even understand what you're saying. They don't. You know why? Because Paul tells us the God of this world has blinded their eyes, so even if we tell them the truth, they can't see it. Now, that doesn't mean we're not supposed to speak the truth, but how are we supposed to speak the truth, church? In love, which means truth is the message and love is the method. Truth is the message. No one's asking you to compromise on that. But love is the method. How's your love life? How's your communication style? Is it bathed in love? When people talk about you behind your back, and make no mistake, they do. When they talk about you behind your back, do they say that person is so compassionate and grippingly kind and full of the love of God? Or do they say that person is angry and argumentative and doesn't care? I wonder how people talk about us behind our backs. A lot of people are wrestling with this right now, church. And I'm going down a little bit of a rabbit hole and preachers do that, but... I'm doing so because I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to press this button just a little bit. We need to be people of compassion. And I'm afraid that in 2020, many of us got riled up in the political hoopla of the day and the moment, and we allowed our faith to become hijacked by people that don't give a lick 
about the word of God or your relationship with Jesus. They only want power. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. So be careful who you put your allegiance who you give your allegiance to. Be careful who you tie yourself up with. Be careful of political movements of men and conspiracy theories that want to take your focus off of Jesus and the great commission and the great commandment and put it on obtaining a place and position and and a measurement of power. Jesus showed us what true power is. You know what it is? It's surrender. It's fighting on our knees. Not fighting with people, it's fighting for people on our knees from a place of surrender. White flag raised, King Jesus, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know how powerful that is? That's more powerful than any political movement. That's more powerful than anything that we can see or do. It's the most powerful reality on this planet, you coming into alignment with the mission of God for your life by becoming the kind of person that knows how to pray, that knows how to war in the heavenlies, that knows how to sync up with what the spirit is saying and wanting to do in the church. I know I'm getting off track here, but I just, I just feel like we need to press this a little bit. And as a pastor, this is what the Lord's been speaking to me about. So I'm going to, I'm going to speak and I got the mic so I can do what I want. Not really. Verse 29. And I like this verse. And here's what it says. John uses this wedding metaphor. He says this, the one who has the bride, he's speaking of Jesus, excuse me, of of the people, of God's people, is the bridegroom. He's speaking of Jesus. The friend of the bridegroom, he's speaking about himself, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, This joy of mine is now complete. This joy of mine is now complete, meaning not lacking, meaning not partial, but full. He's speaking about himself and his relationship that he has with the bridegroom, with Jesus. And he's saying, as a friend of Jesus, I rejoice that I'm just around still to see the wedding that I get to see and be a part of the wedding. I'm just a bystander on the outside looking in and it's amazing and it's beautiful and it's going to be wondrous. He says, I rejoice greatly, greatly. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in our own life and our own busyness that we lose sight of this, of what an amazing opportunity it is just to hear the voice of Jesus just to hear the voice of God. And in the Old Testament, they didn't have this. They longed for the day that you and I live in. They longed for the day where the spirit would be poured out upon sons and daughters. They longed for the day where we would be filled without measure, meaning that God would fill us to the full and then some. They longed for it. The prophets longed for it. David longed for it. And we take it so for granted that God is speaking and wants to speak to us in a powerful way, that the veil's been torn, that we can actually enter into the holy of holies and not be struck dead. We don't live in this time, but that's, that's the reality. And that's what it looked like for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Now we get to hear the voice of God. Now we get to have a daily devotional with God. Yay. And praise God for your daily devotional. 
But back in the Old Testament, daily devotionals were serious business. The priest, if he didn't go through the steps God called him to go through when he entered into the temple, boop, you're done. You guys remember the story, right? Uzzah, he's bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. The ark slips on the cart. He goes down, he grabs it. Boop, he's out. And we're like, oh, God is so mean. Not if you understand how holy he is. Not if you understand how serious and how amazing his presence is. And what do we do? We come in and we take it for granted. Yay, the presence of God is here. Let's give it a golf clap. But do you realize that you've been given one of the greatest gifts, the Holy Spirit, God himself, filling you to overflow, to hear his voice. This is where I want to encourage us. Cultivating a listening relationship with Jesus is one of the most important things that you can give your life to doing, to hearing the bridegroom's voice, which means you got to protect it. You guys, there's so much coming at us each and every day. We're so inundated with notifications on our phone and emails and texts and sound bites. I mean, you can't even go into a store without hearing music or conversations or the hustle and bustle of people all around you, which means we got to protect our relationship with Jesus. We got to protect the ability to hear his voice and to guard that. Verse 30. And here's where John delivers his crushing blow. He says, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. Jesus must increase, which means I must decrease. I must become less than and he must become greater than. Are you tracking with me? John was an influential, if not polarizing figure. And yet he knew that his popularity and his fame and his notoriety and influence all had to bow before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He knew that his life's purpose and joy was only going to be found in this one thing. Seeing the glory of the Son of Man increase within the earth. That's what John gave his life for. It's what ultimately cost him his head. This one thing. Seeing the glory of the Son of Man, of Jesus, increase in the earth. But here's where I want to pivot from just talking about John, and I want to talk about you. Are you living a less than life? In other words, are you allowing God's glory to increase in you or decrease in you? Are you allowing Jesus to be seen in your actions and words? Is it more about you, your influence and followers, or is it about Jesus? Is it about your little kingdom, or is it about the kingdom? You see, Jesus doesn't care about our brands, guys. He doesn't care about our labels. He doesn't care about our attempts to try to put him into boxes. You know why? Because he can't be put in a box. He only cares about one thing. He cares about seeing the glory of the Father increase in the earth. Isn't it interesting? You can put that slide up, Mediella. He cares about seeing the glory of the Father increase in the earth. It's interesting that John gave his life to point people to Jesus. And what is Jesus doing? Pointing people to the Father. John decreased so that Christ could increase. Christ says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Do you see that the rhythm of this? It's not take, 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 grab, 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 notice me, notice me, notice me, notice me, notice me. It's look at him, 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 look at him. 
Jesus gave his life to point people to the Father, to see the glory of God, the glory of the Father increase throughout the earth. So let me ask you, do you care more about God's glory or yours? That's the question we need to wrestle with. That's really what it means to live a less than life, to place the glory of God and the glory of the Son at the center of everything you do. And that's where the Lord wants to challenge us tonight. It means that we need to decrease and sometimes get out of the way so that Christ can what? Increase. Increase. All right, you're tracking. Echoing this, David says this in the Psalms. Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I said at the start of our message that Jesus comes to do two things, removal and renewal. He removes the stuff that takes up place in our heart that allows us, that, that doesn't, or I should say it this way, he removes the things in our heart that prohibit the glory of God from being seen. And he renews our right spirit within us. Removal and renewal, and renewal by decreasing, by getting out of the way, by preferring him over ourselves. This is the work of the Lord, the work of the Spirit. And that, this is what we're made to do, church, to bear forth God's image and glory. That's ultimately what you were created for. You weren't created just to work a nine to five, save up a bunch of money, retire, and then die. Nothing against those things, but you were made to bear witness to the glory of God, to the, the weight and image of God. That's why God created you. That's why you're here. Otherwise, you'd get saved and just be like, whoop, I'm out of here. You have a witness that Jesus cares about, a witness to the glory of God. So I think that we need to learn how to do this practically, and I want to give you guys just two steps I want to help you flesh this out. Are you ready? Here it is. Number one, how do we live a less than life? We put Jesus first. We ask ourselves, is is God greater than me or am I greater than God? Am I living a less than life or greater than life? We put Jesus first. We ask questions like, does this decision to move in with my boyfriend or girlfriend honor God? Is this going to bring glory to the Father by me cheating on my taxes? Is this going to honor God above else, or is this going to help me? We could ask it this way. Am I honoring God with my body? Am I honoring God with my prayer life? Is Jesus sitting on the throne of, of my heart? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts... Honor Christ the Lord as holy. Jesus is holy, meaning he is unique and sacred and separate then, and we need to revere and honor him with our life, with our choices, with our decision to turn off the internet when we feel temptation. Come on. This is the reality that we live with. Am I honoring Jesus with my Netflix choices? (laughs) Thank you, Matt. (laughs) <laughs> oh, it's just, it's just soft porn, Pastor Jason. It's not the hardcore stuff. It's soft. It's just a white lie. It's not, it's not the big black dark ones. Are we honoring 
God with our choices? Are we entertaining our things, our eyes with things that Jesus uh, spilled his blood over? Are we casually being entertained by things that Jesus was whipped and tortured for? I want us to feel the weight of this because I think this is where the, the, the rubber meets the road. I can get up here and dance around on stage and get a whole bunch of amens, but come on, let's dig into the real stuff. Let's let the Holy Spirit do a real work and shine some light tonight. Glorify God in your body. Honor Christ the Lord in your heart. He wants us to do both. Well, God knows my heart. We hear that, don't we? He knows how wicked it is. Yeah, you're right. He knows that it's prone to wander and rebel, and it's prone to make idols. He knows your heart all right. God greater than me or me greater than God. So we need to put Jesus first. Number two, got real quiet up in this Baptist church. (laughs) Number two, we need to put others first. Is it them greater than me or is it me greater than them? We need to ask questions like, does this decision honor people around me? Does the action I'm taking prefer others over myself? Am I honoring others the way scripture commands me to? Husbands, are you honoring your wife? Wives, are you honoring your husband? Are you putting each other first? You know what the truth is? You know why we fight? You know why we get into arguments and quarrels in our relationships, particularly in our marriages? It's when one person in the relationship decides to stop putting the other person's needs first and insists on becoming right rather than righteous. Can I be honest? I'm so guilty of that. I have a heart that, that loves, loves rightness. I love righteousness. I love, the, I love just being able to prove that I was right. Don't I, Candace? She's being generous. I do. I feel justified when I'm right. And you feel justified when you're right. But you can win the argument and, and lose the relationship. You can be so insistent upon having it your way, like Burger King, that you end up driving the people that love you most away from you. I've done it. And many of you have done it. And some of you are still doing it. And the Holy Spirit wants to help you in this area. How? He tells us in Ephesians chapter 5. Here's what it says, verse 20. And giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, verse 21. Here's the answer. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Putting each other's needs first. That's what God wants for us. What about this? Are we honoring our leaders? Do you pray for your president? You should. You should. You should pray for your leaders. Do you pray for your governor? You should. Do you pray for your mayor? You should. Do you pray for your pastors? Oh, you should. Okay, we're, we're on safe ground now. Here's what 1 Timothy 2 tells us to do. First of all, 
First of all, first, before you do anything, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And then he specifies, for kings and all who are in high positions. You're like, I don't want to pray for the president. What's the word say? For kings and all who are in high positions, you should be praying for your Supreme Court justices. You should be praying for your president. You should be praying for congressional members. You should be praying for the Senate and for the House. You should be praying for people that have been put in position. Whether you agree with their politics or not, and it's okay to disagree, by the way. See, we buy into the lie that disagreeing means that we're somehow... Uh, in, in cahoots with or in agreement with their policies. And, and you, don't have to disagree, you don't have to agree with their policies, but you need to pray. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Paul makes it very clear here, and he doesn't leave anything out. In case you're like, well, I'm not going to intercede for that guy. Oh, there it is on the list. Well, I'm not going to give thanks. Oh, there it is on the list. Well, I'm not going to pray. Oh, there it is on the list. Well, I'm not going to give a supplication. Well, there it is on the list makes it pretty exhaustive. Honor kings and all who are in high positions by praying for them. By praying for them. They too need it and we need it. What about people? Are we honoring all people? Are we honoring our boss and our co-workers? Here's what 1 Peter 2 chapter 17 says as we get ready to close. Honor everyone. <laughs> You know, I like this because sometimes I'm, I look for the loopholes. Don't you? Well, does the Bible really say, should, you know, is it really, are we really supposed to honor everyone? Guys, right here. H-O-N-O-R, everyone. In case there was any doubt. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. You guys know how scandalous the emperor was in this day? You guys are mad at your president, and I understand, and I, I share a lot of those same frustrations, but we get mad at our, at our pol uh, politics, and, and here was an emperor in Rome who would take Christians and stick them on poles and use them as human torches for their orgies. Here was a, an emperor who fed Christians to lions. We don't have to pray for that guy, surely. What does the Holy Spirit say? Honor him. How do you honor him? You pray for him. You pray God's best for their life. Didn't Jesus say that? Bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who hurt you and offend you. This is God's stuff. I know it's quiet in here because we feel the conviction of the Lord because it's easier to throw stones than it is to pray and bless. But church, we are a people that are passionate about this, about praying and interceding for our kings and people in high places of authority and honoring each other and honoring one another and serving each other. This is what Courageous Church is all about, living this reality out. Living a less than life is simply saying, I exist for the sake of others. They don't exist for the sake of me. The world doesn't revolve around Jason, just like the earth and the sun, right? The sun doesn't revolve around the earth. Did I get my school lesson 
correct? Okay, just checking. We revolve around the sun. Our lives revolve around Jesus. And in this way, we are called to honor each other and love one another and fear God and to honor our leaders. We put others first and we put Jesus first. This is what it means to live a less than life, to decrease so that Christ can increase. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.